and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 17th of March, as it is my co-host coming to you from his home in Sydney, Nick Stoll, aka Stolich. Welcome to you, my friend. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited. we got Danny on the show. we got Francis coming up. we got Sydney FC, W League players as well. So get in your comments, you know, share it far and wide because uh, I think it's going to be a really good show. You touched on Danny there and Danny Townsend, uh, Sydney FC CEO and APL Managing Director. It is so fantastic to see you. Can I just really get this interview started by saying a really big thanks to you? Um, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye, but Nick Stoll and the entire team at SBS have so much respect for you because in spite of the fact we haven't seen eye to eye and we have posed some difficult questions and we have had difficult conversations, you always make time for us. You are always prepared to front up. And I have so much respect for that because in Australia, Danny, I know that we have a tendency to be a bit immature. Someone says something we don't like, backs <laughs> on them, we shut them out, and that's it. But you always front up, and I'm so grateful that you've made the time for us here again today. No, look, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you having me on. And as you say, you know, we're not always going to see eye to eye in football. That's what makes it such a, a great sport to be a part of. And we need all the opinions we can get in this game. And, and the fact that you guys cover the game like you do is is great. So, no, thank you. No, we appreciate that. And a big thanks to all of you tuning in today. It's so fantastic to have your company. I'm seeing some regulars pop up already. Michael Ong, good afternoon to you. Hassan Bertan. Milan Korogic, my cousin here in Canberra. Great to see you, Milan. Thank you. <laughs> David Orlando, joining us via Facebook. Good afternoon to you. And also via Facebook, Kevin, Kevin Chan, pardon me. Great to have your company, guys. As Danny said there, the game is full of opinions, so keep your questions and your comments coming through. We've got a massive show, as Nick Stoll alluded to there. We've got Danny with us now. We've later going to be catching up with, uh, with Francis. Sawaratifi, the chair of the PFA and also a member of Fifth Pro, and plus the W League Sydney FC stars. Danny, you'd be so proud of how your W League girls are going at the moment. It's been impressive stuff. But I want to start the interview by asking you to put your APL managing director hat on before we grill you about what's going on with Sydney FC and just ask you first and foremost, how are things going? It's obviously been one of the most exciting seasons that we have seen in A League history. We've all loved watching it. But how are things behind the scenes organisationally? Yeah, look, as you say, the product on the pitch has been fantastic. You know, I watch every game and, and not just Sydney FC games and to, to see some of the, the the results and the way games have played out has just been fantastic. The, the youth that we're seeing out there um, playing the game differently is is really exciting and, and I think that's going to continue into the future. So, yeah, the football product's great and, and look, APL is is coming along really well. You know, we, we went through a lot of um, time late last year going through the governance uh, restructure and, and to come into this uh, new year with APL and, and going out and being, building a team of, of fantastic professionals um, that we've been lucky enough to bring on board with Ant Hearn, um, Michael Tang, Ryan Sandilands, with a bunch of others that, that we will be uh, announcing shortly. Uh, but equally then transitioning Gregor Rourke and, and his team across into APL, it's just been, it's been great and it's, it's really nice to see it all come together and, and see the rubber hit the road and, and now, now it's exciting that we've got to go out and, and make a difference. Now, when you reflect in hindsight on the whole unbundling experience and just how difficult that was, um, looking back there and looking to where you are now, how much of a better position are you in and what's actually changed, do you feel? I think you know, we're now in a position to really focus on the, the football consumer. You know, I think our game for 50 years is really focused on stakeholder management and, and that's not what's important. What's important is the football fan and the participant and the coach and the player and, and really going in and serving that customer as best we can as a professional game. And, and that's, that laser focus is something that, we, that the FA just were never in a position to be able to do. They, they're always just by 
by um, their remit having to cover every aspect of the game. What APL is all about is really driving the professional game, but equally growing the game in partnership with the FA and the member federations. So um, I think that's the real key difference um, moving forward. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Danny, like you said, really entertaining start to the season. We've had so many great games, so many great new players come through. In your opinion, what do you think are the conditions that have made it such a good season and how do we kind of replicate that in coming seasons? Because, you know, we want the league to kind of continually have such great games. Yeah, look, definitely the five subs has helped. Um, You know, the ability for coaches to be able to make Mass substitutions. I think you saw Richie Garcia make four in one go at one time. So, you know, that, that's a, a best part of a third, more than a third of your team changing in one one substitution. But, you know, I think that has really helped. I think the fact that we um, you know, coming out of COVID, let's face it, the, the finances of the game were challenged and therefore uh, maybe all the clubs were unable to, to potentially sign as many um, more seasoned professionals as they might have otherwise done in previous years. And, and having that reliance on youth has forced coaches and forced clubs to play those players. And I think you can see by the way they're, they're handling themselves, they're stepping up and they're doing amazing things every game. And and I think um, that confidence now that I think the head coaches across the league will have in youth will, will, will stay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. Danny, we've had so much engagement from the fans leading up to your interview with us. Um, one of the questions coming from West Sydney Football, what matters more to the APL? Setting up the long-term foundation of the league by moving to winter and investing in club-owned facilities or the short-term monetary boost of going back to summer to appease Fox Sports while killing the quality of the league doing it? Now, I know it's a heavy-handed question, but it does feed into one of the biggest headlines that have come out um, that we've seen now that the great Don Bossy has returned from the wilderness. Welcome back, Don Bossy, to the football journalism so world. great to have Don back writing negative stories. Good on him. It's good to have him back. It is great to have him back because this is the yeah. truth of the situation and it feeds into this Definitely. next conversation, which is that it would reportedly be financial suicide if we were to switch to winter. So the headline read, the A-League clubs push for season to stay in summer. The question we're also posing around it is if it's commercially and financially viable to keep the season in summer, why should it be switched? But let's address first and foremost West Sydney football's question. So what does matter more to the APL? Setting up the long-term foundation of the league by moving to winter and investing in club-owned facilities or the short-term monetary boost of going to the summer and or sticking to the summer? Yeah, look, it's, it is a good question. It's a question that we're obviously working through ourselves in terms of making some decisions around the season and equally you have to, have to do that in line with the FA and the domestic match calendar and all those things that are a part of that decision-making process. But, look, I don't think, you know, from an APL perspective, what we're all about is a sustainable financial framework around the game. And that's not guaranteed by moving to winter. So I think the question is obviously it's simple. It's a simple question for them to raise. But I think ultimately, you know, by, by being a professional sport, we need to play when it's most commercially viable. And, um, you know, we're going through a process of consultation with the market at the moment around our 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 broadcast and our product and how we're going to um, produce and disseminate that product and what time of year is it at its most valuable. And and that's something that we're working through. Mm. How are the discussions around broadcast going? Because I think there's still an element of nervousness. We're wondering that, you know, are we still going to stick with the status quo? We know that Fox Sports have behind closed doors allegedly signalled their interest again to renew their partnership 
But how many players could you suggest have really come to the table and are you happy with the conversations you're having at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think what's most pleasing, Lucy, is is the interest in the APL strategy moving forward. You know, we're, we're not going through a normal process of, of dropping a 100-page tender document on broadcasts and asking them to tell us how much they're going to pay us. We want a partner of the game, a genuine partner that's going to invest alongside us and have our best interests at heart. And, and I think that's, that's going to be a multi-channel strategy. When, and when I mean by multi-channel, that's just not television. It's not streaming. It's not newspapers. It's not radio. It's everything. We need all the pipes turned on for our game to be successful and our focus is ensuring that we put together a a content distribution strategy that's that's going to deliver for us on and off the field because what we do forget sometimes is that the the broadcast or content distribution part of it really is a is a in, in essence a minor part of the overall revenue framework of the game we need to put our product in front of as many people as possible to ensure that they then come to games and they engage with the club in many other ways that will drive incremental income and that is through sponsorship through our match day revenues through our membership through our merchandise that the, the start of that fulcrum is is the content distribution strategy so you know it's it's not as simple as as who we're going to the biggest bidder that's that's not how we're playing this out um, but look in, the early indications are that our strategy is really um, interesting to, to a lot of different players in, in the space. When it comes to free to wear, I mean, look, God, if you wanted to sling us a few games at SBS, we'd be excited. But I'm going to be unbiased in this situation because I think that the game is far yeah. more important than what our preferences are as a broadcaster or broadcasters. But when it does come to the free to wear element, does, does the APL acknowledge that you do need to have a presence and a strong presence in that space to, in order to grow the game? Yeah, I think, again, going back to my point, we've got to put the game in front of as many people as we can. And, and obviously, free-to-air delivers that to an extent. You know, whether or not the future of football and free-to-air is a 90-minute game, maybe it's a, a real a real punchy highlight show of all the best and best moments of the round. We're not sure yet, but it's definitely got to play some form of role um, because, like I said, we've got to have all the channels, all the pipes turned on for this game to grow. And we're confident we're going to get to a position where we'll have a real nice mix that will give us what we need. Stolich? Yeah, Danny. So just on the whole summer v winter thing, we know, you know, based mm-hmm. on the reports from the City Morning Herald that Stan said they're interested, but they want it in summer. And obviously Stan is also, well, Channel 9 owns uh, the City Morning Herald where that story disseminated from. But one thing I kind of wanted to ask is, have you spoke to broadcasters saying actually potentially, you know, I know financially maybe they want it in summer, but potentially the product could be even more engaging in winter. Is that discussions that you've had with those broadcasters? No, not in detail as yet. We're only early on in the process. So we're, we're, we're not really in that level of detail right now. But look, I think, you know, it's, it's a conversation that will be had and, and, you know, we've got indications from, um, most that, that their preference is, is summer. But look at the, the, the headline there, financial suicide, I think is probably a bit dramatic. You know, at the end of the day, um, we, we do need to assess all the different um, windows to play in. And, and I think that there's lots of factors that come into it. It's, it's the commercial realities of, of the, the, the window, but equally, you know, the playing product. And, you know, I think there was a lot of talk around that's too hot and all these type of things. I think this, this summer has been probably unseasonally cooler and, and you've seen, yeah. You know, um, great football, but but I think you know if you ask the players, the players want to play when there's the most attention on the game. That, mm-hmm. That's the reality. And, and what with what, what comes with attention is money. And and when you look at you know players, and yes, it might be more comfortable to play in the winter, but if you ask them, would you prefer to play in the winter and get half the money? 
They'll say, I'll play in the summer, thanks very much. So I, I think you've just <laughs> got to look at all those different things and, and make a sensible assessment and decision at the time. Mm. One final question on this before we move on to the next topic of conversation because there's a lot that we have to get through before we say goodbye to you, Danny. Um, with respect to this in particular, I mean, I'm sure you've been in consultation with players and, and you are, as you said, you're talking to broadcasters, you're, you're having conversations with everyone, but Football Australia, they ultimately have the final say when it comes to this. James Johnson has expressly made it quite clear that he would like the, the football calendar to be aligned with the grassroots, which also means switching it to winter. But did they also, in your conversations with them, do they also understand that irrespective of their preference, and look, at the end of the day, a lot of us would love to see the game played in winter, but we want to see the game survive and thrive. And from my perspective, if that's in summer, bloody keep it in summer. But given that they have the final say, um, have they have they pushed you in any one direction at all with respect to this, or do they also understand that whatever's best for the game needs to be done? Yeah, look, James is is absolutely right in the sense that you know when you think about uh, in an ideal world, where would you play? You'd align it, but at the end of the day, they're they're a twenty percent shareholder in APL, so the the FA is aligned to us ensuring that the professional game in this country is a success. They're motivated financially by that, and they're motivated by their remit as the governing body of the game to ensure the game thrives. So you know, James has been very good in working with us at looking at these different options. And, and it is a little bit more difficult in that we're, we're also talking about FIFA in terms of their involvement in setting windows and how we work with that. But we're confident whichever way we go, we'll, we'll be able to work with, with the FA and James to, to find the right balance. Moving on to the next topic of conversation, the A-League VAR controversy. Should the clubs, and this is quoting PFA Chair Francis Waratifi, reevaluate the scope of its use or be scrapped altogether? It's the question we're posing to the fans and it's a question that we're posing to you, Danny. What's the overall consensus from club owners when it comes to VAR? Because it seems as though we're all pretty unhappy with the state of it and whether people want to level blame at the technology or the implementation mm. or both. I think we can all agree on the fact that it hasn't worked in a lot of instances and it feels like the enjoyment is being sucked right out of the game because we're nitpicking every single instance in the game. My understanding when the VAR was brought in was, it, was that it was introduced to correct overwhelming howlers, right? So situations mm. where has gotten it completely wrong not where you could side with one or the other and the margins are so fine like when it comes to offside calls being off by say a millimeter for example so what's the yeah. APL position when it comes to the the VAR like everything to do with the professional game we'll assess all elements of it going forward at the, at the moment we're midway through a season that we didn't start in in the chair so we've, we've sort of inherited a structure that we're, we're running with and and look you're right it's, it's a controversial um part of the game that we need to reevaluate. now that's not to say we're, we're going to scrap it at all i think there are a lot of benefits i think if you ask greg o'rourke his phone used to run a lot hotter on weekends <laughs> when there was no var than what it does now so you know uh -huh. and, and <laughs> so so i think you know it, it does um it, it has a role to play whether it's being executed effectively that that remains to be seen and i think we do need to continually reevaluate that and everything to do with the game that's the beauty of of our laser focus now we can really start to put the dedicated time get the research together that we require listen to our stakeholders which which in this case uh, are our fans and and um make make adjustments as need be 
David Orlando, keep the VAR, he says via Facebook. We also should have goal line technology as well. Hassan Bertan, one of our top viewers here on the World Game Live, he too says keep the VAR. But to defer back to Diane Redmond's comment via Facebook, get better VAR reviewers may help the situation. Mm. Your views to Danny on the VAR are what exactly? Well, just personally, I'm not anti-VAR as much as uh, some people are. I think I think it actually might even be to do with an age thing. I, I seem to notice kind of people from the older generation seem to really hate it, and people from my generation seem to think, well, you can still use it. I don't know whether it can be modified. Whether I really hate it, but 34 is not that old, is it? Depends. Depends. Sydney FC probably wouldn't be giving you a long-term contract at 34, you know. So, yeah. Anyway, no, I just I think we're very loyal. <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think it's uh, interesting, but I think um, just yeah, on on the VAR would would you say how much can you change it outside of what FIFA will have it and what it's going to be, you know, kind of worldwide? Is it is it because people say oh the A League themselves can just you know, pull it out. Is that possible? What, what's kind of the scope for the, the A-League to change it? Yeah, frankly, I don't know the details around what you can tinker within the framework of VAR. That's probably a question for Greg O'Rourke and mm. in his role as the commissioner of the league. But I, I think, you know, it, it, there are there is a degree of flexibility uh, and I think you need to apply it uh, in a logical way for the market you're operating in. And, and you know, I think we've, we've sort of, I think we've improved it over time. I, I yeah. agree with you. It's it's by far by far from perfect, but um, I think you know, I agree with you as well on the generational piece. We tend to see that a lot of the younger generation of fans embrace it and think, it, and they're sort of used to it because they mm. they see it in so many other sports where video refereeing is is made its way into other codes. So you know, I think the more purists, um, to your point, loose about the fact that it may take some of the the air out of the game from time to time. Um, yeah, and I think those those opinions will always exist. And, and like I said at the start, opinions are great and, and, and we need to listen to them. And uh, can I just say, for anyone who super hates the VAR, go watch the W League. There's no VAR in the W League. Mm-hmm. There you go. You can enjoy it. You can be there every game and no VAR. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> my, argument, my argument isn't so much to do with the technology necessarily. I think we've fallen down in the implementation of it and I think we've overused it, like I said, because its original premise, my understanding was, was to correct overwhelming howlers. Now I feel like... Yeah. Constantly deferring to the VAR when that to me wasn't always its purpose. Um, but look, you know, whether you love it or you hate it, I think we can all agree that some things need to be certainly tweaked in that respect. Um, another headline that we've seen from our mate Dom Bossy, love you, Dom. Almost 70%, and this is startling, almost 70% of A League players are without a deal for next season. Danny, I want to ask you. What type of principles and structures could we put in place as a league to actually create more stability and security for players when it comes to their contracts? Because that's pretty disturbing to know that this many players are feeling uncertain about their futures. Yeah, look, that, I, that's the first time I saw that stat was when when Dom wrote about it because I think at our club we've got about 75% of our squad already signed for next season, so we're probably the opposite. Um, and that's been a, a sort of a, a strategy of our club for many years now in ensuring we get continuity in, in our playing group and ensuring that cohesion that you form from playing alongside each other match after match delivers you results. So so I think you know, to that end, you know, I, I take Dom's point there, but you know, our club is a little bit different. But from a league, I think we are in a bit of a unique um, window of time. You know, we're, we're coming out of a COVID-affected season. We've got a restructured season calendar this year as a result of COVID. Um, we're, we're ending a, a current TV deal cycle. 
Um, we're about to commence a new one. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment around uh, the finances of the game into the future, which means you know, common sense across clubs would be that they are waiting to see the outcomes of those um, those key business critical um, tasks that we're working through at the moment at APL before they go ahead and, and start contracting their players for next season. But one thing is for sure, I think as a, as a league, uh, we want to give players as much um, security and certainty around um, their careers and, and that comes with long-term contracts and working with the PFA in, in putting things in place like loyalty um, concessions on the cap, homegrown concessions uh, on the cap, um, really is there to incentivise clubs to behave that way and, and provide their players with long-term um, contracts. And I think that Sydney FC have been a fantastic example of that. I mean, Ryan Grant, who is the epitome of the loyalty program and the way that he's come up through the club, and now he's yep. representing his country um, on the national stage, which is, is really just quite remarkable. So hats off to Sydney FC. But the question is, why haven't other clubs been able to replicate this type of success and ensure that they do sign players on more longer-term contracts? I think it's about having the confidence in your recruiting team to know that you're bringing the right people in. And, and I think as you start to build a, a, you know, a nucleus of senior players, um, you know, they, they tend to attract other players because when you're having success and they, they can see that there's 12-odd you know, players that have been there year in, year out during those successful times, that they want to come and join them. And and, in, and and share in some of that success. So, um, you know, I think it's it's sort of like it's easier to do when you've got runs on the board. And I think what clubs tend to do is is maybe panic a little bit when they're not performing and and change things up. And, and there's some clubs that you can point to that have struggled in recent years by by virtue of shaking up their entire squad every season until they find that that nucleus of players that are going to deliver them results. So I think it's sort of a natural thing for clubs to do. It takes a lot of discipline to, to be able to back a group of players and even when things aren't going well is is really see that that vision for the squad through. Um, and I think, you know, as you say, CNFC, we've done that now for a number of years and um, with the succession out of Graham Arnold era into the Steve Corica era, Steve's got a very similar view to how he, he brings together a squad and, and I think the success is a function of that. A couple more questions before we say goodbye. Are we going to see a better half of the season now from Sydney FC? I mean, you've gotten some important runs on the board, but it's been a difficult start and quite a surprising start from the champions. Yeah, it is. You know, I think it's, it's a long way to go still, and I think we're only going to get better as the season goes through. You know, I don't think you underestimate what going to the Champions League did and then having that two weeks of quarantine without being able to play any matches literally two weeks leading into the season and then going straight into a COVID lockdown in Sydney. So our, our players, um, like with Perth and with Melbourne Victory, had a really disjointed pre-season. Um, so it was always going to take those teams a bit longer to get going. I think, you know, we've we've sort of hit our straps the last couple of weeks. I actually, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I don't think we've played terribly. I think we've probably just not taken our chances and, you know, with the last couple of wins, the you know the rhetoric is that that we're back. I actually think we've played better in other games that we haven't won this year, and that's just a function of taking chances. And at the end of the day, that's what football is about: scoring goals. And if you can't score goals, you can't expect to win games. So I, I think you'll see um, us really hit our straps here on in. Especially when you're missing out of LaFondra, that's been a big um, big hit for you guys. Matthew Pappas, um, I'm so conscious of the time, but we've got so many questions for you. Uh, this was via Twitter yesterday. When are we going to see a marketing campaign from the APL? I mean, anything at all, even if it's an ad on a milk bottle. I don't see any advertising <laughs> anywhere. Also, does Danny have to step down in his role as Sydney FC CEO? 
Let me tackle the first one before I tackle the second one. Um, the, the first one, look, we, like I said at the start, we inherited a season um, from the FA that had a budget attached to it that we need to deliver against, and that budget has a, a certain amount of money in it for marketing. And and I think what you'll see is going into the final series, you, you'll really start to see some difference um, in the way we go about things. We've sort of got a business-as-usual strategy at the moment. You know, we've really only been in, in place for two and a half months. So, um, yeah, we, we, we think there'll be... Uh, Probably around the final series, you'll start to see us differentiate and how we go about our marketing. But I'd also say, look, the way we, we're marketing the game is not by billboards and, and uh, TVCs on television. You know, we, we've got a, a significant strength in the younger demographic and, and they're, they're watching programs like this. They're, they're digital first, they're digital natives and, and, and reaching them through social and digital means is where our money's best spent and that's probably where you'll see the most of our marketing, at least in the shorter term. But I think as we find the the future for our, our content distribution strategy, I think what you'll see there is that multi-channel uh, marketing approach in partnership, genuine partnership with, with our broadcast partner. I think we've got to see some advertising. I know what you're talking about there. I'll take your point, but it's strange mm. for me when I'm driving down the M2 and I see adverts for rugby union and with no great respect to rugby union fans, I mean, I don't know how you barrack for that. With no great respect. <laughs> great respect. <laughs> no, I don't have any respect for that sport, politely speaking. It's so damn dry and boring. Um, but I adverts everywhere and I'd love yeah. to Advocate because they put up a post in which they said, you know, rugby union fans surprised by the fact that this sport is actually being promoted. So I take your point about targeting certain demographics, but I think what it means to us when we think about marketing is actual visibility. And yeah. if you're not seeing, you know, players on billboards and out in the media regularly, I think that's where we start to feel like the game being given Can up. I just and Stefan Mork also, you know, tweeting great game the other night, um, but it would be good if we had some marketing for it. So I think the players also, not that he speaks for everyone, but acknowledge that we need a bit more visibility on when can, games are on. Can I just say, you know, personally kind of as a, as a younger person, I, I was just saying before as well, every time I'm on YouTube, I'm getting served ads to go watch Sydney FC and Instagram and stuff like that. So it is there and I've seen a lot of, you know, posters up around my area as well. So maybe it's just a little bit more targeted, you know, to maybe people my age living in my area. Now, um, look, yeah, yeah, I think, Nick, I think Lucy's right though. Like, sorry. This beyond, beyond one team. Yeah. We league-wide yeah. marketing. I think it's great that CNC are making a push, but we need ads like we see on the rugby league where the, before the season starts, that stuff's been jammed down your throat and done really well. Yeah, and I think you, that's what you're going to see from APL. That's what we're about. You know, the guys we've brought in to the team and, and some of the existing uh, marketing team that we've brought across from the FA, you know, they're re-energised and, and they're, they're going to focus on doing things differently and you'll see a lot of things different about the way we go about things. But it is a balance. You need to have our top billboards. You need to have TVCs. You, you need, go back to what I said at the start, you need all channels firing, both from a, a coverage of the game, but equally of a promotion of the game. And, and that's absolutely at the centre of what APL's um, committed to. And quickly, yeah. do you have to stand down from your position in either position? Not at the moment. One or the other? Yeah, it's probably important to clarify. Like I think the, the reason why we've gone down this path at APL is that we've got a lot of business critical things to do in the short in a short space of time. To your point around contracting players, you know, we've got as as a CEO, I want to know what I'm dealing with in terms of salaries, um, budgets for next season. The only way we it starts with a a broadcast deal, it then moves into a CBA, and there's so there's a lot of things that 
that need to happen in a short space of time. So it made most sense for me to step in and continue the work I was doing already, uh, just with a little bit more formality. And, and then once we get into a normal cadence of, of business, we'll make some decisions around what the future holds. And finally, um, can we expect any news in the short term at the very least or an announcement around broadcast deals? How far away are you from securing that? I wouldn't say we're, we're it's definitely not imminent. Um, we're, we've got a lot of work to do on that front and we're having a multitude of, of uh, conversations that will, will play themselves out in the fullness of time. But, you know, I'd suspect we need to get something done in the next four to six weeks in order to provide all those other certainties we require in the game to to set our season calendar, to set a, a CBA with the PFA and, and get some confidence back into the game around its future. And, you know, we are absolutely... We think football is the biggest opportunity in Australian sport right now and we, we need to realise that potential and, and I think that's what APL has a lot of conviction in, in delivering against. And grab that potential by the cojones. We need it. The sport... <laughs> Townsend, absolute pleasure to catch up with you. And like I said at the very top of the show, I really appreciate, irrespective of our difference of opinions, you always front up, you're always prepared to come and answer the tough questions. And that's what we want to see, particularly not just from our CEOs at respective football clubs, but also now in your capacity as the APL Managing Director. So we appreciate your time, got a lot of respect for you, and we wish you guys all the very best when it comes to broadcast and marketing and figure things, figuring things out for the league because we all hope for a brighter future. Thanks for your time, Danny. No, thanks, guys. appreciate you having me on and, and um, I'll stay tuned for the rest of the show. Oh, good on you, Danny. Good on you, mate. Love coming into the program. What a great man he is and good to catch up with him. Speaking of great men, I want to welcome another one to the program and it ties in with a lot of the discussions that we've been having, but it will be great to get the PFA's perspective on this. Welcome to the show. Great friend of the world game and always has been for a number of years, PFA chair and fifth pro board member, Francis Awaratifi. Franny, my friend, it's so great to see you. Thanks for making the time to stop by and talk to us. How are you? I'm great. Um, thank you very much, Lucy. A bit tired today. I was at. Uh, I had a really long day yesterday. We had a, a fifth pro board meeting, and I didn't get off there till uh, after two p.m. Uh, two a.m. Sorry, in the morning. Um, and uh, so I'm a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit tired, but I've got a. Uh, but I'll, I'll survive. And uh, and I just wanted to make a very quick comment about Danny. I mean, he's done not bad for a little winger uh, at uh, Parramatta Power and Sydney United. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't he? CEO of a football club now, the managing director of the Australian Professional League. It's, it's you know, he's, he's coming to his own very much, though. Hasn't he? Well, who would have thought that the game could produce talents like that, you know, that could, mm. you know. But, you know, it's also good to see you look at, you know, James Johnson. Obviously, he used to play for Brisbane Strikers, yourself, ex-Socceroo, NSL yeah. legend. So we've got a lot of kind of player, ex-players in positions of power and influence, I think is ultimately good for the game going forward. Oh, look, I think it's great. I, mean, I have to say, you know, in my dealings with uh, ex-players in the game, yeah, I mean, occasionally people are going to hold different positions. But I think overall, what I've found in my experience dealing with former players who have, who have been in positions of influence is that there is that empathy. You always have that empathy that you had as a player and, 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 and also trying to look at things in the round uh, overall in terms of what's in the best interest of the game and, and the deep love and respect that we have for the football. Uh, I think that that's the uh, thing that we always have in common, um, that, that connection and that love um, that we, because it's something that we've dedicated our lives to doing and that we love. So, uh, and I think that's that's where I find that sometimes when I'm dealing with thorny issues with guys who are um, like me, who played the game professionally, um, I think sometimes um, through that, we're able to often find common ground, even over um, quite difficult issues. 
And I think it's fantastic to see players in these positions because you come from a place of understanding, but also you're open to the concept of being able to learn from an administrative perspective and understanding what it's like to build relationships with key stakeholders in the games because there are so many of them. I have to ask you, there have been a lot of contentious points in and around the season at the moment, but when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement, Franny, how far away are we from actually finalising that and making announcement an announcement publicly to confirm that that deal is finally been done? Well, I think under the um, the last, um, the collective, under the last collective bargaining agreement, the the bargaining round is supposed to commence by the 31st of March. And uh, some preliminary discussions have begun. Uh, bargaining itself hasn't started. I mean, but there are some preliminary discussions around what that's going to look like, how it's going to be structured, and some of the things that might potentially be on the table. But and again, as Danny has said, you know, it's it's difficult, it's uncertain because we've got we've got a number of issues on the table around. We don't know, for example, when the league's going to start. We don't know um, whether, uh, in terms of broadcasting deal. I mean, we, obviously, before you can negotiate a collective bargaining agreement, uh, a big component of that is the share share of the game's revenue. And if we don't know what the and, and the broadcasting revenue. Uh, represents a very uh, significant uh, revenue stream for the game. And until you um, that's settled, uh, and again, that's also very difficult in terms of trying to negotiate um, a CBA. And the other uh, aspect of this is the the um, regulation of the game itself. With the separation of, of the A-League and uh, Football Australia, we now have a situation where Football Australia are potentially proposing uh, uh, the reintroduction of a, of a transfer system whilst um, we currently have a, a salary cap uh, system in place as the employment framework. So, again, we don't know what we're going to be dealing with. Are we going to be dealing with a salary cap system or are we going to be dealing with a, uh, a, a, a having to negotiate on the basis of a, a transfer system? So there's a whole, uh, oh, sorry, the reintroduction of the uh, transfer system. So with all of those things still up in the air, it's very difficult to sort of um, be able to sort of say definitively yeah, um, negotiations are going to be um, had and they're going to finish at a certain time. So I, I really couldn't, I could honestly say that I, I have no idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a tough situation to be in at the moment when there is so much uncertainty floating about the game. But we have seen a, a number of headlines doing the rounds at the moment. We covered some of them off with Danny Townsend, um, who was with us earlier. Um, discussions concerning it potentially being financial suicide if the game was to move to summer and that I believe according to the report is the view of some of the A-League owners but also this concept now and this will really speak to your role at the PFA and everyone else concerned there particularly the players about the fact that almost 70% of A-League players will be without a deal for next season. Um, I'm sure that that's breeding a lot of uncertainty and a lot of stress and anxiety amongst the playing cohort. But, Franny, how do we change this? How do we put ourselves in a position as a competition where we are able to actually create more certainty for these players? Yeah, I think it's been it's been, been a bit unfortunate because the last CBA, I think, that, that went from 2015 to 2019, expired then, and there was supposed to be an extension for a year to get over the separation. But obviously that dragged on. And then, then we've also had COVID as well. So we've we've been hit economically. I mean, in terms of obviously these these economic shocks um, uh, from from events such as COVID, and also the the governance changeover as well uh, with the with the unbundling. Um, 
Yes, I mean, it, it has created a lot of uncertainty, you're correct. And I think the, the, the employment framework as well, it's, it's clear that the current um, uh, salary cap system uh, is not, um, it's just not, it's not working, it's not effective, it's not, it's no longer meeting the objectives uh, for which it was um, designed to meet. And it's clear that it needs to either be reformed or, 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 you, or you get rid of it totally. Um, and, we, and the PFA has obviously put out a lot of research. I mean, I don't want to traverse that old ground because we, we put out research over the last three or four years, which has shown that the, the salary cap has been is ineffective. Um, one of the reasons is the churn in players, um, and, you know, players coming off contract. And, um, you know, every year there's 50, 60. And, and this year we're going to have 70% uh, of the players coming off contract, which is just... Uh, it's just unprecedented and it creates a lot of instability, uncertainty in terms of career planning uh, for the players. And so I think these are the things that we need to really sit down with the game and to negotiate with the game and to, and to really sort of um, sit down with, the, with the, the professional leagues and try to work out a, a map out, a roadway map out in terms of how we can reboot and restructure the league and so that we can, it can start to thrive economically and to, and to give that certainty and, and, and to create the best career path possible for Australian players. I think these are the things that we need to be working on and this is the things we need to do to strategically sit down together with the, um, with the professional leagues as partners with the A-League and the W-League. I mean, because the W-League is also a very important league, uh, certainly in a global sense as well. So we need to really be able to sit down and strategically map out um, you know, how, um, what the future of the game looks like. But I was going to say very quickly, yes, one of the big, big... Um, I, I was at a, a players' meeting on, on Monday. I was in Melbourne. I, I was in the Melbourne Victory, where the, uh, was the meeting of the players. And there were very strong concerns expressed over contract um, security. So security is a real issue for the players at the moment because it's said a lot of players coming off contract not knowing what's going to happen and, uh, in, in, in clubs for next season. Um, so this is this is a, a huge issue, and I think that these are the, um, the sorts of things that we're going to um, we're going to have to deal with. I think in in looking at that actually, because I was at that meeting, and a lot of players kept saying security, security, security. It was really the the big issue, and I think that um, the negotiations of the contract of the CBA that will definitely be, feature as one of the key issues to be pushed uh, in the way that we design the new um, regulatory system. Storage. Yeah, Franny, speaking of kind of contract security and stuff, as we were talking to Danny, the idea of moving to winter, playing in summer, there seems to be quite a lot of reporting that there is at least going to be more money available if the league stays in summer. I know a lot of players have personally kind of said that they feel like they enjoy playing in winter more. And I think, you know, with, you know, football is a winter sport, you usually get better games in winter. What's the feeling of the kind of the PFA and the players on the, 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 the move to winter, which may result in less financial security through a television rights deal, view kind of the longer-term future of the league? Look, I think that the thing is, is that when the A-League, when the work for the A-League was originally done, I mean, one of the reasons for moving to summer was to to give us some clear air and to also um, be able to play in the evening, to play at, at, at uh, you know, 7, 8 o'clock at night, so that um, you, you, you wouldn't be playing in the heat of the day. But obviously, with the... I mean, but obviously, over the last number of years, um, we're getting four and five o'clock kickoffs, and obviously in summer um, that can be quite, you know, sometimes it's the, the, the conditions are quite oppressive, and uh, and it's not conducive to a, it's not conducive to providing good product on the park, and it's also not conducive to 
um, fans actually being able to go sit out in, in 30, 35 degree heat to watch a game of football. And so, so whilst the broadcaster might uh, have benefited or whilst um, uh, you know, the, the decision was tilted towards uh, a commercial outcomes, unfortunately, you also degrade the quality of the product and also the players, um, you know, because you're putting their health and safety at risk as well by um, sometimes uh, playing them in oppressive conditions. And I know that there were games for the W League, I know that were kicking off at 4 p.m., uh, and, and which is just crazy. Um, so we can't go back to that world again. But it, as for whether the game kicks off in summer or winter, for me, I just think we need to do the work. You need to, you need, you need to do the work in terms of the economics of it and, and in also, in an, also in terms of the sporting side of it. But I think the economics is the most important thing because obviously if, if, it's, if it's economically not going to be viable, um, we have to think about that. And I think that's also going to be very strong. I, I don't, and I think that without, without a basis, without a, a basis in empirical research, I just don't know how you can make a decision uh, based on feelings or based on the fact that because um, the temperature is a bit lower um, uh, um, through the return of the A-League um, after the pandemic, that because players are able to run a few more Ks, that somehow that's a basis of switching the league to a winter league. I, I don't think so, because as I said, there's a, there's a whole load of problems around infrastructure, for example, stadium availability, uh, the quality of the pitches in winter aren't great. Yeah. Um, you've got the fact that there are, um, there's a clash with the other sports. There's the fact that, you know, the broadcasters, you know, so visibility, all those sorts of things. So I think we need to do, there needs to be a comprehensive uh, uh, empirical uh, research to, to actually then look at it and to say, okay, is this the right thing to do? Uh, in the absence of that, I just don't see how we, we can say that the decision will be justified to just move it because um, because you want to align it with the rest of the, uh, of the, of, of the, Pyramid. Well said, Franny. Another big talking point that we also covered off with Danny Townsend, but the fans continue to talk about it. It seems like almost weekly, even daily, now that we're seeing a slew of games being played throughout the week, is the A-League VAR controversy. Now, we know how you feel. I saw your tweet and I couldn't have bloody agreed more with it because you came out and said, sick of it. And this was off the back of the game between Western Sydney and Wellington. You said, sick of it. The fans overwhelmingly hate VAR. The players don't want it either. Time to drastically reevaluate the scope of its use or perhaps bin it all together. We want to know from fans, are you happy to see it reevaluated, or would you just like to scrap it all together? Franny, from the PFA's perspective, I know that about 12 to 18 months ago, the PFA did conduct a poll with the players in which they actually said that they were in support of it. Now, you're yet to have conducted any recent research, and I'm sure here's me just guesstimating that it could swing in the yeah. opposite direction now and the players wouldn't be in favour of it. But given your position on the Fifth Pro board, what is the more global football view of the VAR? Um, well, actually, the internal view, I think there was an internal internal polling that was done by the PFA uh, not, not all that long ago, which shows that uh, um, a fair majority of the in fact, more than a majority of the players are now against VAR. They don't want it. Um, and... Um, and I, and having said that, I mean, you know, you, you give it, you, I think I, we've given it a lot of time to see how it works. And, um, from an international point of view, I think that a lot of players also don't like it as well. And I know that, um, um, especially a lot of ex players that I speak to, they, they hate it. And, uh, a lot of the current players also don't like it because of the fact that, you know, it's just the fact that they, they feel that, um, the use of the technologies now, um, that the scope um, for its use, it's intruded a lot further uh, than it was supposed to. I think that the whole point at the very 
beginning of the of the fire of or the rationale for introducing it was that it was, it was to be used for the real howlers, the the obvious, yeah. the really clear and obvious howlers, you know, that for those decisions. But it appears now that if we're drawing lines and 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 the tip of your and your fingernail is over the, the red line and you're offside or your kneecap is over the line and you're offside it just totally destroys the essence of football and i think that um you know when when, when a goal is scored and you can't celebrate because or you do but then you're thinking um a few seconds later oh they might overturn this it just completely kills a joy this is what makes football special yeah, I, I I see that the my view is is that it can be reformed, but you just need to you need to wind back. I think you know, the scope uh, where it's used, um, and uh, and I think if you can do that in certain ways, then that might be fine. If not, I think you're probably just better off to get rid of it totally, and maybe just use it for things like um, whether a ball has crossed the line uh, in the act of a player crossing the ball or or over the goal line. I think maybe just use it for those decisions because for everything else. Um, you're almost prepared to just let the ref, um, referees go back to refereeing the game. Yes, sure, there's human error every now and again, but um, having these, you know, I think the whole idea of the offside for me is just it just completely destroys the essence of football and the the, the unpredictability and the randomness of it. Um, I'm conscious of the time, but we have to move on to our next topic because shortly we've got Sydney FCW League stars joining us, which we're looking forward to, Charlotte McLean and Courtney Vine standing by. We can't wait to chat to them. But this is a really big topic of conversation and one that I'm really glad that we have you here for, Fran, because you've been very vocal about it. We've seen players more recently come out and be vocal about it, the likes of Bernie Abini, and now, unfortunately, off the back of it, Kusini Yengi has had to come out um, with respect to these disgusting and absolutely abhorrent racist comments that have been directed to the players and it's not even just racism we've seen Stefan Mork also had to come out and say that he'd been issued death threats I mean this whole issue of social media and the way that it's unable to be policed in what's being said is just awful but before we come to you on this I want to defer to to what Kusini Yengi said in a press conference recently um, because I thought he spoke really well Stolich let's have a listen. Um, it's been pretty hectic uh, a lot of stuff on social media uh, all my friends and stuff message me and my family. It's been, yeah, full on. Yeah, I think it kind of took away from the special moment in which was me scoring my first A-League goal. Um, so it's a bit disappointing, you know, after the game. There was a lot of good messages, like everyone congratulating me and stuff. But uh, obviously a few that were a bit uncomfortable to look at and, yeah, just takes away from the special moment. Uh, I'd like to speak about it because it's uh, something that's obviously not right. and. Uh, People need to be educated about the situation so that it doesn't happen in the future. So what message do you have for the people that send these sort of things? Um, I'd say that everyone just needs to be kind to one another and uh, promote love and not negative energy. You know, we're, we're all humans and we're all trying to do our best at whatever we do. And giving people negative energy and making comments like that doesn't help anyone. Is there anything that can be done for do you think? Um, I think just educating uh, kids especially because that's what uh, we grow up as kids and we kind of feed off what other people tell us and you grow up uh, being an adult and all everything you learn as a kid is what you become when you become older so um, just educating and just having discussions and talking about it and teaching people what's wrong and what's right and why that might hurt someone's feelings and why that person might feel a certain way when you say certain things so yeah lots of discussions and books. 
You know, the thing that really, you'll have to forgive my candour in all of this, but the thing that really pisses me off the most about this is that we've got such a young rising talent that's had a sensational game. He's got an assist. He's gotten a goal out of it. You know, talk about his goal celebration all you like. I loved it. But we should be talking about these things, not about mm. his race. And it is disgusting yeah. to me that we still live in a day and age where people think that it's acceptable to do these things and to direct these slurs to these players via social media and from the protection of social media because that's what's happening here. Social media platforms are now, to me, just as complicit. And the question that we're yeah. asking is how should the game deal with the offenders? I'll tell you how we deal with them. We need to ban them for life. I know that Bruce Gitte came out and issued a statement and he said that they're doing everything they can to find the culprits and he said it's very hard with social media. On social media, you've got platforms where identity is hard to track sometimes. I'm not overly hopeful if, yeah. if I'm brutally honest. I'm finding the culprit or the culprits, but we're going to do everything we can. Adelaide and the police and Football Australia and the APL need to throw everything that they possibly can to finding these people and I hope they find you. I hope that you pay the penalty for it. I hope you have to oust to your family and friends why you've been banned for the game from the game for life and I hope that we make an example out of you and show that this is no longer acceptable. We can't continue to go out as a game and say racism not welcome and use hashtags and force players to come out and condemn this action if we as a code do not start to take decisive action on this. Find these people. We have to start coming for them aggressively and ban them from the game. Francis, how do we as a code improve how we deal with these situations? Because it's not enough to okay. just condemn this behaviour anymore. It's not. Yeah. Look, I think there are two strands to this. I think that there's, you, 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 we're talking here really, I think sometimes we tend to look at these things and go, oh, is, is this racism interpersonal? Is it like an individual or a few bad apples? Or is it a systemic thing? In my view, it's systemic because it, it, it's recurring and it's, it's a recurring issue. Now, the thing is, is that the game overall, so there's two strands to it, as I said. There's a, there's a, I guess there's a, there's a long, longer game, which is the, what we do in terms of how we tackle the issue of um, racial vilification um, on social media platforms. And we do that, I think, through doing a hard and a deep work through, um, um, through, working collectively with, say, um, organisations like the Australian Athletes Alliance, which is an organisation which represents all the player unions in Australia, um, through uh, intergovernment organisations on a global stage, working with FIFPRO, the World Players Association, and also, uh, and, and also the World Players Association, who are the player associations for all the um, play associations around the world. It is going to be through a collective effort, because you have to understand that the, the media um, the social media platforms are so economically powerful and they're so powerful that even governments sometimes are, are having problems around the world regulating them so we need a, a joint effort a collective effort on a global scale to be able to actually bring about the sort of leverage and the pressure uh, in order to um, get the um, social media um, platforms to actually start to regulate uh, properly uh, and to uh, the abuse and the vilification of uh, of black players or anyone for that matter, whether it's your social, sexual orientation or or your gender, um, so we need to sort of deal with that issue. So that's the one side, and we're doing that work at the moment. However, the other issue is is what issue is this? I actually applaud um, Kusini Yengi and uh, I applaud uh, Bernie Ibini for their um, public acti activism on anti-racism and the way that they've taken this on. And I think that the and also I'd like to also say to everyone else in this that the PFA um, that the every dressing room um, in the A League 
and also in the W League are behind their um, their black teammates and on this, and that will support them to the absolute hilt. So I, I wanted to get that message out. So that's the second thing. And the third thing I was going to say is, is that in terms of people's own individual situations about anti-racism, it's one thing for people to put out statements and to say that they're anti and that they're not racist and that they don't, you know. But anti-racism actually involves, um, you know, directly confronting racism, whether it's at home, whether it's around a dinner table, whether it's in the pub with your mates whether it's in a workplace where somebody uh, says something that's racist or, 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 or you know, exercises, you know, ex racist conduct, you know, the people who are not racist, they just let it go in that moment because they don't want to get in, into the confrontation. Whereas people who are anti-racist, they will say something. They will say, it doesn't mean that you've got to bang the table. It doesn't mean you've got to jab your finger at somebody. It just means you've got to say to them with respect, that is a racist statement. That is not acceptable. And I think at that moment, what you're doing is you're planting a flag. You're letting people know where you stand individually in terms of racism. And I think that that's the work that we all have to do individually um, in our lives. Um, and, 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 and also learning. There's lots of resources out there. Read, you know, speak to some, some of your, if you've got black friends or, 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 you know, speak to them about their experiences. Listen to them. You know, and I think that, that that work and that development has to happen. And the, and being, the work of anti-racism is not something that you do for a, a month or two or by reading a couple of books. It's a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I challenge our I challenge our players, I challenge our fans, I challenge our administrators to actually start to do that work, to start to really do the work of anti, a serious work of anti-racism, which is to really look at themselves and to start having uncomfortable conversations with themselves, with their friends, with their families. And when they see racist conduct in those spaces, to actually directly confront it. And I think that is the short-term thing we can do. But the longer-term stuff, as I spoke to earlier, is around the, the coalition, the, the collective work that we've got to do at the global level, which your player unions are doing. And we will do that. I don't want to take any more time because I know that we've got Courtney Vine and those guys, and they're more important than me. So I, I think I don't want to take any more minutes away from them. <laughs> they're not more important than you. They're equally as important. And we have kept them waiting. We really appreciate their patience. But there's been so much to talk about in Australian football at the moment. Francis Oboratifi, well said on the subject of racism and on, on all fronts, actually, because we've had a lot of discussions around what's going on in the game at the moment and some really critical discussions that are being had about the future of the game. When it comes to the racism issue, stop it. Enough Enough is enough. And for those of you that think you're bold enough and brave enough to do this, we're coming for you, right? The coalition government is coming for you. They've actually released and tabled a bill that is in front of parliament members at the moment to present an online safety act to prevent this from happening, to hold social media platforms to account and to hold the individuals to account. So you will be subjected to fines and you will have to explain to people that the reason you got fined was because you were a racist, disgusting pig online to people and levelling death threats and saying disgraceful things to them. We don't have a place for it in society and neither do they. So thank you, Franny, for coming and chatting to us. There's still, of course, so much we could have spoken to you about, but we will catch up with you again. Please do come back to us. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you.
And apologies, guys. I know I'm very passionate about this subject, Stolich. Um, you know, every time we talk about it, I get very fired up because I just think that enough is enough when it comes to this kind of abuse on social media, whether it's racist, whether it's hatred, whether whatever it is, we can't keep protecting these people anymore and you can't keep hiding behind anonymity. I know what Bruce Dutte is saying, that it's difficult to find these people, but they can be found and I think they should be found and they should retrospectively be punished for their actions if we're going to hope to see any change in that space. Yeah, I, I definitely. And I think uh, what you're saying, a lot of people agree with, and I think that's great. But yeah, as for it, it's difficult to find, well, you know, as soon as someone ever threatens, you know, the government or a terrorist attack or something via social media, you know, the AFP knocks on their door very quickly. So, you know, it's a matter of resources and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I think uh, more needs to be done. Couldn't agree more. All right, we've kept them waiting for far too long. But you know what? We like to say here that we keep the best till last on the World Game Live. We've had a massive bumper show, but there's nobody better right now than Sydney FC. And we're so delighted that we've got Courtney and Charlotte joining us. Guys, I'm so sorry we had to keep you waiting for, for so damn long, but there have been so many discussions going on in Australian football. But when it comes to W League discussions, Everyone continues to talk about Sydney FC. This season has been phenomenal. Both of you have been phenomenal. But tell us, why has this season been so special for you guys? Yeah, um, thanks for having us. Obviously, yeah. those are really important topics that you were speaking about, and I do think that is something yeah. that needs to be mentioned and um, talked about. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know why this season has been great. <laughs> no, we've had a, it's, a young, it's a young team and... Um, I think we've all, you know, got along really well on and off the field as a collective and, um, you know, we've, we have a couple of senior players that we, we continuously learn off uh, each and every session. So um, it's good to have some of those players around and teaching us the way. So. And our coaching staff as well is really supportive and, like, always want us to express ourselves <laughs> and be really free. And I think you can see that in the way that we play. Is, yeah, we, we play really free and, and nice soccer, I think. It's been so wonderful to watch from you guys as well. That's what we've enjoyed so much. But Stolich, over to you, some questions for Courtney and for Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte, I wanted to ask you, first season in the W League, how have you found that, you know, step up from the NPL? <laughs> What's the experience been like? Um, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. Like if you had told me this a year ago <laughs> that I'd be starting in my first year and we'd be on top, like I just, it's all, it's all a lot and I haven't even really like reflected on it too much yet. I've just got to like, take it as it comes because otherwise it can be like a bit um, overwhelming. Uh, but the the team, like especially the senior players, like, you know, T and Ellie have been so supportive, um, making sure I'm always okay. As soon as I get my head down a little bit, they chuck their arm over me and they're like, head up, you've got this. <laughs> um, and like same with the staff, like just complete and utter belief. And so it's just made it, it's, it's taken the pressure off. And I think that's how the whole team sort of feels. And I think, at the start of the season, um, we were playing with a lot of freedom and, and we are really just going for it. And then all of a sudden we were getting these amazing results. And, and I think that now we're sort of starting to feel the pressure a little bit more and mistakes and things like that are hurting a bit more because we've set the bar for ourselves really high, which is, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you touched on the coaching staff. Uh, a word on your coach, Ante Jukic, because I think he's been sensational with, with the girls and what he's managed to achieve with the club for a period of time now. But what's he actually like as a manager and how does he manage to get the best out of you every week? Oh, he's just, he's very, he's a very relaxed coach, um, which is, yeah, very positive. I think it's quite nice, actually, um, you know, having a coach that does, well, especially coming from a striker, um, he gives you a lot of freedom and, like, space to 
like what yeah tom always says express yourself <laughs> uh but yeah it's um he's just, yeah he's very relaxed he's yeah and he also reads different players like so he knows like every every soccer player is different and what they need from a coach is really different so he knows like with some players he's a bit harder on he knows like he can they respond well when you know they have made a mistake he'll be like you know you can do better but like you know especially from my point of view as well like he knew that he needed to build my confidence up so he was really supportive and and I think that that's what he does so well is he really reads every player and like accommodates to exactly what like each individual person sort of needs. And I think that that shows in the way we play. Yeah. And that's why we think it's the best out of everyone. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, we should say, by the way, uh, you got the big blue uh, this Saturday. So 4.30 p.m. at Cogra. Everyone go buy your tickets. It's a doubleheader with the men's game. So I think it's going to be a great, great day. Uh, good weather as well um so once you get that but uh charlotte i wanted to ask you we've seen a little bit lately in the w league i'm just going to share my uh screen but um w league players coming into the league and playing with their heroes so you know uh recently there was um michelle Heyman and emma ilioski um here as we can see there she is a fan of Canberra united grows up to play yeah. for Canberra united um, i think we saw another example with lisa devanna and melbourne victory yeah. Was there any player that, you know, you really looked up to in the W League that now you're playing with, you're playing against, and what's that like? Um, yeah, there's actually two. So um, uh, Kendall Fletcher, at, but the, I played with her in NPL at Sydney Uni maybe I think two years ago, and I actually went to my first W League coaching clinic in for Central Coast Mariners when I was eight years old, yeah. and she was actually my coach. Of course, she didn't remember me because how <laughs> could she? There was like 1,500 girls screaming her name. <laughs> Um, I was telling her like at a 5am session and she was like what that is makes me feel so old like don't say that I was like I'm oh, sorry <laughs> and then um, uh, Ellie Brush I actually watched my first W League game at Leichhardt Oval uh, it was Canberra United versus Sydney FC I think and Ellie Brush was playing in that game and now she's my teammate unfortunately she's obviously injured um, which is absolutely so gutted about um, but yeah she's just amazing, like the absolute cream of the crop role model. <laughs> and is, is there a feeling of kind of, you know, I guess fulfilment in that look, look at the journey that you've come on from being that eight-year-old, you know, at the Central Coast, you know, training session <laughs> to now being in the league itself? Do, do you feel like, oh, my God, I've arrived, I'm here? Yeah, oh, definitely. Again, it's still like all a bit surreal. Like it's all just happened so so quickly and it's all just a lot um and it's something that I think that in once the season's kind of done I'll really really reflect on it all um but yeah no it's so it's so cool it's just awesome that I get to play with her and it's yeah it's very fulfilling it does feel like oh wow like you know I've always wanted to get here and I'm sort of here now I guess obviously it's not complete because we haven't got the silverware but <laughs> and I'm still only young but yeah <laughs> uh Luz, I think your mic is muted uh I think we've had this problem before <laughs> Uh, no, sorry, I was sneezing before and I didn't want anyone to have to listen to it. <laughs> professional, <laughs> Courtney, professional. <laughs> Courtney, I'll pose this question to you because, Charlotte, you've kind of answered it. You've told us, obviously, that you were playing football at a young age. But um, a question coming through via Facebook from Eduardo Andres. Girls, have you always known from a young age that you wanted to be football players, he wants to know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, as a young uh, a young girl um, I did follow my brother a lot so not necessarily did I want to be a footballer from a young age but my brother chose to play football and I did follow um, in his footsteps a bit but I did do a few other sports along the way and yeah I just stuck to football I really liked it um, 
yeah, my, my brother stuck with it as well. So we both kind of did. And yeah, I kind of fell in love with the game a bit and stuck with it ever since. <laughs> Another question coming through via Twitter from Catherine Markovsky. Uh, this is to the both of you, so whoever would like to answer. Girls, who do you feel will be your biggest challenger come the final series? Because we know now, of course, obviously Sydney FC have booked their place in the finals after such a dominant season. Brisbane have all but secured their position given their massive goal difference as well, and they've been playing some great football too. But now we're really seeing a tussle at that, that bottom end there for that fourth position to be solidified, which could be interchangeable. But to answer Catherine's question, who do you feel will be your biggest challenger come the final series? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's I a hard one. I think Brisbane. Well, but obviously Brisbane has, like, a stacked mm. team. Like, their, their team is, like, but it know. also just doesn't – it doesn't match greatly, I mean, because they're so experienced and we're so young. <laughs> so it kind of can go yeah. one way or the other, which we saw the first time we yeah, first first time. It was like we can either really take that youth and, like, really go at them or we can kind of go into our shell a little bit. From, yeah, and so I think that that's probably, like, the biggest sort of challenge for yeah. our team anyways. Yeah, no, Brisbane definitely, yeah. but I was just going to say, like, you know, final series is a whole completely different game and, um, you know, these last, like, three, the the next three, sorry, your Adelaide, Melbourne victory and um, Canberra fighting for that spot and mm. they're, oh, yeah. they're all hard they're all teams. Like, teams. You know, versus Adelaide the other week was a, yeah. a hard loss yeah. and they just came up firing. So, like, I think anyone in the finals would be really hard. Um, but, yeah, Brisbane... Yeah. Brisbane, Brisbane probably will be the one, I think, yeah. Victor Martinez also via Twitter. This kind of answers, you've sort of already answered the question, but he said, which team do you dislike coming up against the most in the competition? Well, I reckon Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say Brisbane. Oh, no, no, don't say anything negative about Adelaide on this show. We've been in trouble. <laughs> no, no, it's actually all credit to them. Like, they, just, no, yeah. they play such structured... They're so well coached. Like, yeah, no, they're, they're so well coached. They're so organized. They are just, as soon as one gets beaten, there's two more of them there. Like, they're just everywhere. And it's so hard to play out, which is so hard for us because we obviously like to play on the floor and we like to play soccer. Yeah. And so, yeah, I reckon they are such a hard team to break down and play yeah. out against. Yeah. Is, is that what you think went wrong when you guys lost to them recently? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I just don't think we're ready for like, that sort of, I don't know, like a team aggression, I guess, like like trying to win that ball as soon as they lost it or like, um, yeah, just we couldn't, like we just really struggled. Like they just, I thought they did outplay us um, in that game. Mm. But not the final series. <laughs> 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 um, your next game, of course, is coming up this Saturday, the 20th of March, as we said there, the Big Blue, very excited about that. Um, but then you've got Canberra and Canberra United away the following week. They'll be, depending on how results go over this weekend, they'll be desperate again, as we said, because the finals race is coming down towards the wire there. But um, Michelle Heyman actually breaking Sam Kerr's record by scoring her 72nd goal against Perth. Um, it was really remarkable stuff, but how great has it been to see a player like Michelle Heyman come back into the W League? Yeah, <laughs> so good. Like um, when we burst Canberra, I was sort of like, okay, Charlotte, like you're marking probably, I think she was the, the leading goal scorer at that point and it was like my second game at centre-back and I was like, okay, yeah, come on, like step up. And, um, <laughs> and I, was, I was so <laughs> nervous and, and, um, and she was actually such a, like a lovely person so to play nice. against. Like. Yeah, she's so humble. So like, humble, yeah. she gave me a little bit of a push. She apologizes. And I'm like, you really don't need to apologize. But thanks. And like, yeah, she, was just, she was just so positive as well. The way she yeah. spoke to the players around her, like, she's obviously got a quite, 
quite a young team as well that yeah, yeah she's just so encouraging to all the other and I just really respect hearing that yeah. from from such a thing experience. Is that is that reverse psychology? She's right. like, I'll butter you up and then I'll get through on goal and score. We're so glad that we've got you girls on here during our W League wrap in which we talk about the results that we've seen up until this point. But, of course, Brisbane, they are closing in on the leaders, on you guys on Sydney FC. Perth Glory's woes, they've continued. It's been such a difficult season for them and we feel for the West Australians because of a number of reasons, particularly with respect to the pandemic. It's been so hard for them to get into any kind of rhythm. Border closures and, and you know, it being such a stop and start season has been really challenging. But we've talked about Canberra Night and the fact that they've kept their finals hopes alive after that. They did defeat Perth. But we want to ask the two of you, who do you actually see making the cut? As we've said, Sydney and Brisbane pretty much solidified. But when it comes down to those two spots, if you had to predict who would get it, who is going to make it for you? It is a hard one. Um, <laughs> obviously, I'm going to say I mean, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide yeah. and Victory, I think. Yeah. Only because we're bursting Canberra, we want to have, like, the mentality. <laughs> We don't, want to, we don't want to drop any points leading into final series. Definitely not. So, um, yeah. yeah. From a team perspective, it's probably like, yeah, that's why it's what makes sense. Um, yeah. But they're all great. They're, but I yeah. do think it'll, it'll be those it'll be, four. It'll be a tough um, last couple of games for all yeah. those teams, just trying to make that uh, yeah. top four. Very interesting to watch and hopefully cause some upsets. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really exciting when you consider, it's really exciting when you consider that, you know, we're all crying out for a longer season. I mean, we have to see a longer season. You've got some teams that only really start to come into their own halfway through the season and then before you know it, they miss that opportunity to actually go on another run and, and really push for finals, which I'm, I'm really quite sad about in this situation. I mean, I'm only building you because I'm a bit biased. I'm, I'm a, a camp <laughs> Um, but as it stands, Adelaide United, they're on 19 points. They've got one game remaining, right? So that's going to be really crucial for them to get that result. Canberra on 18 points. They've got two games in hand. And then Melbourne Victory, they're on 20 points. They've also got two games left. So they're chasing those two remaining spots. Courtney and Charlotte, can you guys come back and talk to us again sometime, please? Such a joy. First of all, you're so patient with us in navigating through all those, you know, very challenging topics of conversation. But the positivity from you guys, the comments coming through have been so wonderful. Everyone's just saying what a breath of fresh air you are. The positivity you bring is so wonderful in a landscape that, you know, it has been marred with challenging topics. So thank you for making the time for us here on the World Game Live. We're big supporters of you. We wish you all the very best come the final series and keep it up. Try and do the double, hey? Hopefully you will get that. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for having us. No, thank you, girls, and good luck in the big blue this week and thanks for your time today. Oh, what a great group of gals they are. And, you know, especially when you see young players too, like Charlotte coming into the frame, um, doing so well on the big stage. Solage, this is what the W League season and I guess in tandem the A League season has really been about, is seeing these young players rise to the to the top. Yeah, it's been the silver lining of the, you know, the financial difficulties that you see these young players come through in terms of the W League. All so many great players from the W League going to Europe, which is fantastic, or going to America, you know, that's great as well. But it means that there's more opportunities for young players like Courtney. So, yeah, it's fantastic.
We do love it. Um, we've had already such a massive show, Stolich, but you know what? I'm going to buck the trend of trying to finish this show in an hour and a half and say, let's just keep going. Let's ride this horse well on into the sunset and get sacked doing it because we love talking about football. And, again, we do have a big show because there have been so many big topics of conversation to have, but I want to just talk about the football. We've talked about a lot yeah. of field issues and a lot of the the, the the talk around broadcast and when that's going to be finalised, the treatment of the fans, that was one thing that we actually didn't have enough time to canvas with Danny Townsend and we had so many comments coming through to him. So apologies if we didn't get to read out your questions and your comments to him on air. Um, but with respect to the football itself, I mean, geez, we saw some fabulous games played. I know that one of our contributors, Phil Mikolev, actually posted a blog and said that this is our best season in history. Look, can I be a bit controversial and say I don't know if I agree with that? I think the quality of football has been sensational. We've seen some new names coming out and really lighting up the stage. But to say that when we've had seasons like, you know, and, and impressive personalities and, and players come to the league like your Del Pieros, your Heskies, your Shinji Onos and, and quality football games that have gone down to the wire and exciting final series and, you know, crazy grand finals. Um, I don't know. Is this the best season in history? I don't know if I agree with it. No, it might be one of the most exciting in terms of the games we've had. But if you if you say best, you know, season in history, to me that does a little bit of a disservice to the past seasons that we've had. I think there's a couple of things that you have to take into account. One is, you know, we haven't had fans in stadiums very much, you know, limited seating, all that kind of stuff. So to me that's kind of, you know, a big negative. Nothing that the clubs really can do about it or at least – they maybe could do a little more in some things. Maybe we'll get into that. But, yeah, I don't know about the best season ever. For me, if I had to think best season ever, the first season of the Wanderers where you had Del Piero wow. and you had Shinji Ono and you had Emil Husky. So you had the big names, but you also had the, you know, the great support from the RBB. You had a really cool title race with the Central Coast Mariners doing really well under Arnie. And then Tony Popovich's Wanderers coming to pip them. That was kind of a really exciting time for the league. Um, so I don't know, best season yet. It is a really fun season, that's for sure. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really looking forward to the games. Um, you know, for example, the game on Monday night, I was playing my own five-a-side game and I missed uh, that, you know, incredible 4-3 match. But, it, you know, I watched the replay and I'm really excited about it. And I think that's something that we haven't been able to say. So it is a really good season this year, absolutely. Is it the best ever? I don't know, but we can just enjoy this one. Let's enjoy the fact that now we're seeing City maintain their dominance after a bit of a stop-start start to the season. The Sky Blues secured back-to-back -back wins, which is hugely important for them. Yengi, Kusini Yengi, he absolutely shined for the Reds. Um, and we've spoken a lot about the off-field issues concerning Kusini. And we want to say, Kusini, on behalf of all of us here at the World Game, and we'd like to say the football community and those of us who have been galvanised by all of this and, and have come together in support of you, you have to know we are all with you on this. You have our support. And those of us who are in our right mind always back you to the heel on this. This extends well beyond the players. Um, you know, we love you, Corsini, and we want to see more from you on the field. Um, the Mariners, they drew with the glory. Um, I really enjoyed that game. It was fantastic. End-to-end -end stuff. Uh, really fabulous watching. I, I love the last few games that we have seen. Um, Raw, they're winless in five. They've gone a bit MIA, um, which has been interesting um, because I felt as though they were sort of the dark horse knowledge. They flew under the radar. They were getting the results. But now the tables have been turned. But the Western Sydney Wanderers, and um, and Wellington Phoenix, my God, that was sensational. A seven-goal thriller could have been an eight-goal thriller if that 
last goal for the Phoenix wasn't disallowed, but the quality of the goals that we saw, my lordy lord, Mitchell Jukes was sensational, Cam Devlin's, I mean, this is some of the best football that we've seen. Um, but from your perspective, I think when it comes to Kusini Yengi, and I want to sort of draw a spotlight on this conversation, his goal celebration attracted a lot of negativity. How did you see it, Stolich? And our viewers here today still with us watching on the World Game Live an hour and 14 minutes into the show. Great to still have your company, guys. Well, I told you, we're riding this horse out into the sunset, so stay with us. Start heating up your dinner. We'll be here until then probably. But what did you think about Kusini's goal celebration? Stolich, you first. Well, just a shout-out to our viewers. How about this guy tuning in from uh, New Jersey at 11.15 p.m. on Tuesday? So I'm glad I'm glad you're tuning in. Let us know wherever you're tuning in. It's great to have international viewers as well as domestic. Love but it. As, as for the celebration, and I loved it. I love when players yes. do that kind of stuff. You know, like I like that he gave, he gave it, and he said, and I think we're going to uh, bring up a clip from him, but basically he said he grew up watching Adelaide United. You know, he's a young player. This is the other thing. Now we're starting to have players come into the league who the league has been around their entire lives. And they're, you know, lifelong fans of whether it be Adelaide United or Victory or whatever. And they actually understand the rivalry because they've been in the stadium. They've, you know, they've felt it. So I, I really actually like the celebration. I think anything we can do, you know, as long as it's somewhat, you know, in the realms of respectability, but anything we can do to to stoke these rivalries is great for the game. And you think about some of the, all the great moments of that, you know, the kind of, the traditional rivalry between those two clubs, you know, Cozzy and Muskie, that, you know, that we still talk about that. It was like season two or something. Um, You know, all these great, the the 6-0 grand final where victory won, um, you know, that again was another kind of fantastic, incredible moment. This adds to that. Every time you write a new chapter about this rivalry, that rivalry actually becomes stronger and the league becomes stronger as a result. So, yeah, I really liked it. I couldn't agree more. I loved it. And I think it spoke to the fact, like what you said there, that this is what you want from your rivalries, right? It's not a rivalry if you're all out there, you know, kind of slapping each other on the back and really enjoying things in that respect. You know, you want to be out there like what, do you remember what happened in that Western Sydney Wanderers derby um, with with Sydney FC? It still sticks out fresh in my mind. Uh, Someone had gone down with a cramp right? Mm. This was a Western Sydney player. And Vedran Janjetovic, I can't remember which Western Sydney player it was, Vedran Janjetovic went over to help him with the cramp, right? So you've got a rival player helping another rival player. Sash Sash Petrovsky comes in. No, no, it wasn't. No, Sashkovinovsky. Shout out our Macedonian uh, listeners and viewers. (laughs) Sashkovinovsky comes in and starts giving Vedran a spray and saying, what are you doing? Don't be helping him. I love that. That's what football is all about. I couldn't agree more with the comments too. Eduardo Andres, I didn't mind it. It shows passion and creativity. He's a character. We need that. Someone that did mind it, though, was a former Red, Marcelo Karuska. He said, because Maria Zanin, who was also their media manager once upon a time, put up a, a tweet and said, absolute boss, with respect to, to Cusini's celebration. And Karuska said, boss, question mark, young players should celebrate goals in a different way, looking for your teammates or your fans. Hashtag respect, hashtag be humble. We got a lot of love for Marcelo Karuska, but I don't have a lot of love for that comment, um, if I can say so honestly, because I think that it, again, it doesn't speak to what we're talking about in the traditional sense of a rivalry. He's a young player, he's full of confidence, he's a little bit cocky, and I think that's what makes us either love them or hate them, and we need more characters like that in the A-League. 
Yeah, and you know what? Um, from Kruska's point of view, I really actually do like it when players point to the person that assisted them on a goal. I think that shows like a really good thing. But I also like when, you know, Messi stands up in front of Madrid and holds the shirt up in front of them. I love when PK, when we scored five against them, gives them the manita, the little hand, and starts waving goodbye. <laughs> I love all that stuff. That to me is all part of it. So I think there's space for both. And I think, you know, it's also about the player's personality and whatever they feel. A player shouldn't, you know, if they don't feel like, you know, making a big deal about it, yeah, be calm, be cool, whatever. But I think it was a great moment and, uh, yeah, full power to it. What do you think about the Wanderers and Knicks situation with respect to the VAR? I know we've already spoken about the VAR, but what was your view on that incident? Did it go too far or do you feel in that camp of, well, if it's off, it's off? Because that's what a lot of people will say to me about the situation. Well, well, if it's offside. Yeah, but for God's sake, previously the rule used to be that if it was offside marginally or whatever and you had to really get a microscope out, that the advantage went to the attacking player. Now that momentum has shifted to the defenders, right? So I'm sure the defenders are happy and the strikers are not. But which camp do you sit in? It's off, it's off, or we've gone too far? I personally think we've gone too far. I hate whenever, to me, whenever you have to get out those two lines and the red and the blue and you've got to try and separate them, it's too too hard to tell, especially with our kind, especially in the A-League. We don't have the correct number of cameras to show the correct angle. So that's my point where it's gone too far. I am not a fan of get rid of it completely. So I think a player of his two or three metres offside should be called offside, you know. And then I think as well, you should just defer to the the, uh, linesman's flag and whatever they decide, unless, again, it's a huge, like, man, no, it was a metre, then then you can start to do it. So that, for me, you know, we're talking about when the VAR was used kind of well, was I remember the 2018 World well, Cup, we were talking about this. The actual first time we actually saw it used was about the fifth game into the tournament, which is our game against France. But and we got that, totally screwed. Yeah, but if you think about that, that meant that there were four games already that had it had been active for but not used, and there were lots of goals. And it feels like now every single time the ball hits the net, it's got to go to VAR, it's got to be looked at 100 times. For me, I'd go with ref's call unless absolute howler. That's how I would kind of modify that, really pull it back, only see it used maybe once every four or five games basically. Mm, I'd like to see that too. And I feel like for a period we did go through that type of system. But yep. now it just seems as though we're deferring to it on every single occasion. And it's where even there's the smallest margin of doubt. The referees, I feel like, have been forced into a scenario where they're second guessing themselves, but also knowing that they have the VAR behind them to support them in case they do screw up the decision. I think that has taken away their power and authority and their own confidence within themselves to make the call. So it's just for me, it's a, it's a grey area because I think like what you said, Stolich, correct the absolute howlers. We want to see that done in a game, right? And we can only reflect on our 2006 game against Italy and imagine that if we had had the VAR in that instance, we all would have been for it. But for me, I feel like I hate the fact that we're not just having conversations about one referee's mistake. We're now having conversations about two referees' mistakes. So I'd rather go back to the old system where, you know what, the ref on the pitch on the day makes the wrong call and we can all call for his head and whatever else and whinge about it, but not let's call for the ref's head and then let's call for the people in the VAR box's head too because now you've just added more layers of complexity to it and if you can't use the technology properly then get rid of it final point before we move on well can I just say I was thinking kind of during a chat one of these ideas I had tell me in the comments if I'm absolutely losing it but (laughs) 
when it comes to kind of these VAR decisions, often you'll see like ex-referees quoted in the media and one will say, oh, that was a penalty or one will say, oh, no, actually that wasn't a penalty. So to me, I think what you do is you have, let's say, three or four uh, referees in the VAR booth and either they all have to agree that it was whatever decision it is, so it has to be unanimous, or if they don't all agree and say one disagrees or two disagree or whatever, then it, you just go with what the on-field call was. To me, unless it's unanimously, okay, that, that that's clearly an error there, that's the only time it would be uh, used. I think the referees would like that because, A, it means more of them get employed because you need four of them per every game. Um, but then I think you'd kind of get a little bit, you'd get less intervention, but you get more clearer decisions. A-League memes are on your side. You're absolutely losing it, Nick. <laughs> Nick I mean, do, you know do you know what? F off, you like it? F off A-League memes. <laughs> Actually, I can I can agree with you on this because, oh, look, no. I don't know that you need four, but let's say you've got the two in there. If the, if the decision isn't unanimous, no. I agree with you, then you know what? Leave, the, leave it to the referee to make that call in that moment because, like you said, there are so many different views of incidences and interpretations of the rule, and I think that's part of the problem, and that also speaks to the issues that we've had with handball recently. Right, so that seems to be a problem too because now we don't understand what the interpretation is. You've had Steve Corica come out in weeks gone by saying, we don't understand what the handball rule is anymore. I thought I knew it and now I'm watching a football game and feeling like I've just started following this sport because I don't know what constitutes a handball anymore. So there seems to be a lot of discrepancies around it, which is really disappointing. Um, we have to give a quick mention to our beloved Sam Kerr. Good Lord almighty, she's on fire and doing sensational stuff. Um, the fact that she was able to, and, and let's just say, I mean, she's always going to be in sensational form, but the fact that she was able to go on and score an absolute hat-trick um, for Chelsea in that Continental Cup, and I know that her teammate, Frank Kirby, was also on fire. But the question that we have around them, when will we see her rewarded with football's highest honour? We all believe in Australia that she should have and, and, and should be winning Ballon d'Ors left, right and centre, but we know that there are other players out there who are doing sensational things around the world, particularly in League R, um, that are more deserving of it. But are we, are we going to see her get that gong stolage? Can you see it in her future? needs to make a run in the Champions League. That's what we need to see because, you know, I think they did very well in their first leg against uh, Atletico Madrid. I believe the second leg is this week. Um, but, you know, I think uh, if she does a run there, if she goes to the semifinal or the final, then she would be a huge chance, as would her teammate, Pernell Harder, who's also been fantastic for Chelsea. So whoever does kind of a really solid run in the Champions League, I think you'll see it. By the way, look out for Barcelona in the Women's Champions League. Barcelona season, 18 played, 18 wins, 90 goals scored, three goals conceded. Visca Barca. Man, who cares about the Men's Champions League? We are dominating. We don't care about the Men's Champions League. Please, spare me. Juggles football culture. Kerr is fire. My Lord, she is. Um, sorry, my mother just came in to grab an onion because she's cooking some dinner now. She obviously that, that's, that's the way. That's the way of the old parents. They don't care. You're on camera, whatever. I need my onion, all right? Listen, yes. let's go. A family to feed. She don't care about no show. She obviously assumed we'd be done by now. But as we said, we're riding this horse into the sunset. Quickly, uh, UCL wrap. Manchester United and Real Madrid, they do progress to the quarterfinals after comfortable outings against Mönchengladbach and Atalanta, respectively. Question we're asking is, is this Pep's best chance for European glory? We know he's chasing that crown desperately. He's all but sewn up the Premier League title. But can we see him go that one step further? Because we know that's exactly what he wants. 
yes, I believe this is his best chance just because the other teams are so weak. You know, Real Madrid isn't particularly strong this year. Juve's already gone. Barcelona's already gone. PSG have their issues. Liverpool obviously are having big issues this season. Um, the only team that really looks like they can match them or at least come close to them is Bayern Munich in Germany. But it's very hard to go back-to-back in the Champions League as we've seen year after year. So whether Bayern is able to do that. So everything to me points to Manchester City, even the way that they're better. They're kind of one weak spot in previous season has always been that counter-attack. They've always seemed like that, you know, a team can always get one or two really good chances. Bringing Cancelo in from, you know, kind of that inverted wing, wing back where he comes into the middle, it just blocks that. You know, the partnership of Ruben Diaz and John Stones looks as strong as it's ever been. They've always kind of had Otamendi and, and Fernandinho, a really old company there. That always seemed like a weak spot. Now it just seems impenetrable. And I think they have seven clean sheets from eight games. They conceded one goal in the first game, seven clean sheets in a row. This is going to be the year. Diaz has been the game changer for me there in defence, particularly when you consider John Stones for me historically has always been hot and cold, hot and cold. Yeah. But now, like yeah. you said, we've seen some real stability there, clean sheets for fun, and they're capitalising on the fact that other teams, they've been so inconsistent this season as well. So yeah. it is going to be interesting to see. But um, you know what? I think from Pep's perspective, what is what is going to happen to him if he doesn't go that step further again in the Champions League? What does that mean for him? Well, he can't lose any more hair, so I don't know. I don't know what the stress is going to do to him, but I don't know. To me, if he doesn't do it this year, then I don't know. Are you ever going to do it? You know, I think to me, well, Pep is still. Are there as much expectations on Manchester City when it comes to European football as there are on PSG? I feel like there aren't. And Rory Belton yeah. via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Rory. Hope you well, mate. Thanks for your question. He says, "Can PSG go as far as last year?" In my opinion, it depends on Neymar. If Neymar comes back, because what I saw in that second leg is they just are nowhere near as strong without Neymar. Neymar is such a fantastic, talented, frustratingly inconsistent when it comes to injuries. But, you know, he is such a talent. And I think, you know, if Pochettino can get the best out of him. Of course, PSG had their kind of own issues off the field this week when it came to the players getting their houses robbed and some of their family members kind of got detained and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, there's a lot of issues. I'd say PSG are maybe behind. I'd put Man City favourites. I'd put Bayern Munich second favourites. And then PSG would kind of be in that slot underneath. But it's quite a gap between PSG and Bayern and City. I just feel like we keep having the same conversations every Champions League season when it comes to both PSG and Manchester City. The expectations are so high and then, you know, they either fail to deliver or they just fall that one step short like PSG did. The thing is it does, like luck does play a part and sometimes teams get unlucky and it's not always, in my opinion, the best team in Europe doesn't always necessarily win the Champions League because there's knockout football and that's also what makes it so exciting. But, um, yeah, and you know what? Wouldn't it be great to see a team like Porto or someone like that do a, you know, really surprise us all? That's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I like your never. blind optimism, but anyway. <laughs> okay. We've got to wrap up the show, guys. I said we'd ride it into the sunset, but, um, you know, I think we've exhausted all of the topics that we've brought to the fore today. But we want to end on this note, bad news slash good news. Share your versions with us. Start off with some of the negative. What were some of the things in world football or indeed even in your own backyard perhaps that caught your eye that you didn't really rate? And then conversely tell us what did you love? What's some good news to inject uh, as the final piece of information in the show? Stolich, we're going to start with you. What was your bad news? 
All right. It wasn't actually, to me, that bad news. It was more funny news, but it was definitely bad news for him. Rafa Mir is a striker for Huesca. Huesca are right down the bottom of La Liga. They're trying to get to survival. But how about this miss? You know when you go away to Barcelona that you need to take every single chance. Well, check out what Rafa Mir did in the oh, new camp. We'll bring down the volume a bit. Look at that. You think he's defending when you look at it. Honestly, the ball comes across, right? You just have to touch it with your head, mate. Just touch it with your head. And he shoulders it over. Have you ever seen that? He just misjudged it. Has he mistimed his run there? Has he thought the ball's going to go in a different direction? I don't know. I'm trying to see both sides of the coin here. I don't know. I genuinely think that he thought... He just forgot that he could head the ball. He just needed to touch it. Or, yeah, he has mis- misjudged the flight or whatever. He thought he needed to bring it down. Maybe he was worried also about being offside. But it is an absolutely awful miss. It is horrendous, you'd have to say. And like you said, you've just got to get any body part that doesn't involve your hand or uh, your arm and get that ball in the back of the net. And who cares how you score it? Just score the damn thing. Uh, Michael, on bad news, the racist uh, abuse trolls. Yeah, couldn't agree more with you on that front. Um, in tandem with that, I'd also like to bring up my bad news for this week was the news that Marquinhos and Angel Di Maria, their homes were robbed in their league R game against Nantes. And it's just horrific when you consider also that Di Maria's house was also robbed uh, while he was playing for Manchester United as well. So really horrific stuff. And to think that this is such a calculated thing on these, you know, these criminals part that they're obviously looking that when looking at the, the, the football fixtures and when they're not going to be there, but to know also the horrific account of the fact that Di Maria's family also yeah. was subjected to this really horrifying stuff. Um, and I just I feel for them and their respective families and think that this is something that, that desperately needs to be addressed. And and how do you address it? You know, do you beef up security at players' homes during this? Um, well, that's what, you- what PSG has said they're going to do. But yeah. It, it is a problem yeah. in France. Um, you know, like obviously we all remember that Kim Kardashian uh, got uh, robbed in a hotel room. There were millions and millions of dollars of jewels and stuff stole. But it turned out those guys ended up being like 55-year-old, like basically professional thieves they they yeah. know who to target they they get in they get out um you know it's a very obviously horrible thing for someone to go through uh you know no matter how much money you have and very, especially scary for the kids and the teenagers who oh. i think are at home um oh. but yeah it turns out this isn't just like you know some crazy person just walking through the street and deciding they're going to rob a house these are people they're targeted they know exactly what they're doing and that's also why they probably get away with it Really, really sad stuff. So thoughts with mm. um, both Marquinhos and, and Di Maria and their respective families. Horrible. Murray McKeon, I love this comment by Facebook. The fourth official has announced there will be six minutes added to today's show. I know we should do. We should hold up a thing every time. <laughs> 25 minutes. Oh, I reckon we could keep going as well. Um, some more from Hassan Bertan sharing with us. The bad news, of course, is the racial abuse. But the good news is Messi's record. Stolich, I believe that ties in with a bit of your good news this week. I've got more love for the Rekoba jersey, actually. I think that's quality. The Rekoba jersey is very beautiful. It's a very beautiful jersey. One of my favourite in your repertoire. But carry on, go on. Your good news this week. The good news every week is Messi. Just the fact that he exists, it makes me so happy. All right, <laughs> every single time this guy just plays football, my heart is just filled with love. Oh my god, it pulses through my body how much I enjoy this guy. Let's roll the clip. Let's have a look. Like Hassan Bertan said, he he equaled Xavi's record for most matches for Barcelona, seven hundred and sixty-seven. I hope he plays another seven hundred and sixty-seven. I hope he plays until he's fifty-five years old. I love this man. Uh, where is I've shared the wrong thing. Bear with me one second. I've had a shock. I got too excited. 
excited about Liam Messi. He scored two goals. He got an assist. But this goal here was absolutely unbelievable. Look at the first touch. Comes inside. Bang. Double at the bar. Hits the bar twice like an alcoholic. Bang, bang. I absolutely love it. Right? I, I could not be more excited about watching Messi play. I don't care. People are going to say it's Huesca. You know, they're down the bottom of the table. Beautiful goals are beautiful goals. In the same way, you know, Lamella's goal against um, Arsenal, a Rabona. Yeah, they lost 2-1. Yeah, Lamella doesn't do anything. I don't care. A moment of beauty like that, I will always enjoy. And Messi has given me more moments of that than anyone else in history. Uh, at least he's given you something because, let's be honest, Barca have given you absolute turmoil uh, collectively. Michael Ong, we love you, Michael yes. Ong. Also love all of our top viewers here. Anyone tuning into the World Game Live, we love your company, but especially our loyal viewers who come to the party every week with us. He said the good news is Liridon Krasnici debut. It was very good. You were quite impressed with him. Give us your feedback and your initial assessment. I liked it. I liked it. It was only like 15 minutes against Sydney FC, came off the bench, they were losing. So, you know, we have to kind of have a larger sample size and hopefully we'll see more in action kind of this weekend in the coming Jets game. Liked it. Really good touches, you know, really kind of looking to play one-twos with his teammates, um, you know, looking to create a lot of chances, you know, go himself as well. He's a taller guy, so he's a bit slower. We're not going to kind of see him like – you know, sprinting past players, but a lot, really good touch, really good skills. I'm really looking forward to watching him play more this season. More good news. A-League memes. Catch Nick Stoll on a game of two halves this Friday. Tell us about it. So tell us where we can tune in and how people can be a part of it. Well, by the way, I just say these guys are good at promoting. They were talking in, uh, you know, when they were Danny Townsend, he was saying A League memes are good at promoting. A League memes are great at promoting. They're promoting this show. Game of two halves, if you haven't seen it. Just do the A League's marketing for goodness sake, A League memes. They need to give you guys a call. They even got Bunnings in there, everything. Anyway, so. The point is, uh, Game of Two Halves, uh, it's a show with Simon Hill, a football kind of quiz show, very fun, lighthearted. If you haven't seen it before, I believe Scott Jamison and Melissa Barbieri are usually involved. Unfortunately, they can't be on the show this week, so they probably went through a long list of people and eventually came to me. Um, but, yes, I'll be on it this Friday. Really looking forward to it. Uh, I think it's going to be really a lot of fun. And you can watch give, it on YouTube, I believe. Give, give yourself some more credit, will you? Michael Long, thanks, guys. Great show. Happy Harmony Week. Football unites us all. That's exactly what we'd like to do. In spite of the negative rhetoric that we've had around the game with respect to racism this week, this is Harmony Week. It's an opportunity for us to recognise that, as Kusini Yengi said, we're all people, we're all human beings, and inject more love and not hate. Um, my good news for the week is that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, at 39 years of age, confirmed to his 10 million social media followers the return of God, that he, in fact, will be included in Sweden's squad for the Euros in 2021 this year. cack stuff. I mean, I love the guy. I'm glad he's actually getting the call up again because I think at his age, Stolich, he still has so much to add. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I really like him. He's a, he's a fantastic player. Um, you know, he's a character. I don't take anything he says seriously. The return of God. I mean, maybe if you were messy, I could say it. But, yeah, get out of here. Oh, come but on. God's that. sake. But but anyway, um, yeah, it is really good, and you know, we're I'm really looking forward to the Euro this, this summer. We haven't had international football for a while. Copper America as well is going to be um, on in the summer, so that's really something to look forward to because I think it's going to be really cool to see every country. It, it needs a bit of a unifying moment. I think COVID's been so hard for so many countries, and the one thing that always brings countries together, you know, politics, whatever, it can divide us. 
World Cups, international tournaments, they always bring the country together. Everyone gets behind their nation, and I absolutely love it. So unfortunately, I don't know how many fans will be in the stadium and all that stuff. Hopefully that gets worked out as well. Um, but, yeah, really looking forward to Ibrahimovic and Euro 2021. Let's hope it goes ahead. I'm still crossing my fingers. I mean, I still know that there's so much doubt surrounding the fact on whether or not the Tokyo Olympics will go ahead. Um, yeah. Organisers are saying that they're desperate to make it happen, but, you know, respective nations are starting to doubt that. But like you said, we want to see global sporting tournaments come back to the frame. Uh, speaking of comeback, Melissa Barbieri, oldest player in W League history, kept a clean sheet, breaking records because of her age, but old schmold. I think she's just sensational. Melissa Barbieri, good on you. Keep playing the game that you love because we love watching you do what you love. Another final thing, I want to also give a quick shout out to Western Sydney Wanderers for the beautiful tribute that they gave to the victims of the Christchurch attack mm. in the Banquest in their game against Wellington Phoenix. Um, I thought that was really touching in the way that they put the names of all of the, the victims uh, within the stands there. Beautiful stuff. And, again, yeah. transcends football. And to see the community unite in that way, to show solidarity, I think is really important, one of the greatest strengths of football because it is the global game. Guys, this has been a global show, actually, in many ways. We've reached out to people in New Jersey. We love to know from wherever you're tuning in. But thank you, first and foremost, for tuning in. We love coming to you every week from uh, 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Wednesdays. We've gone for an almost hour and 40 minutes here, Stolich, but there have been a host of topics to discuss. Big thanks to all of our guests, W League uh, stars from Sydney FC, Courtney Vine and Charlotte. It was fabulous to have their company and just an absolute breath of fresh air to the program that they were. PFA Chair and Fifth Pro Board Member Francis Awaratifi and also a big shout out to Danny Townsend, Sydney FC CEO and APL Managing Director. If you missed any of those chats, of course, you can watch the program later on. And um, and head to the World Game website as well as your one-stop shop for all things football-related, both domestically and internationally. whole host of ALA games and W League games coming up this weekend, so make sure from wherever you are in the country or even the world, indeed, get behind them, support them and show your love because we want to end the season respectively on a really good note. Stolich, great to have your company, my friend. Thank you for everything this week. Absolutely, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Look forward to next week's show. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. And, yeah, share it far and wide, please. Thank you. Please do. So on that note, on behalf of myself, Stolich, and the entire team at the World Game, thank you so much for tuning in. It is goodbye for now. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and, indeed, the rest of your week. Until next time, see you.